Engaging Leader, Episode 131, Super Bosses, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent, featuring Professor Sidney Finkelstein. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. The world's greatest leaders spread their influence by grooming extraordinary talent. The way they deal with talent, in fact, makes them not only success stories, but legends that foster legions of protégés who go on to transform entire industries. In one of the most extensive and rigorous research projects of its kind, Professor Sidney Finkelstein spent 10 years systematically studying business legends and pop culture icons like Lorne Michaels, Ralph Lauren, George Lucas, Larry Ellison, Miles Davis, Julian Robertson, and Alice Waters. He found that although they differ considerably in their interpersonal styles, they're remarkably consistent, although highly unconventional, in the ways they identify, motivate, coach, and leverage their people. Today we'll be talking to Sidney about his new book, Super Bosses, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent. Dr. Finkelstein is Professor of Strategy and Leadership at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth, and he's a consultant to senior executives around the globe focusing on talent development, corporate governance, learning from mistakes, and strategies for growth. Sidney Finkelstein, welcome to Engaging Leader. Hi, Jesse. Sidney, some leaders foster a disproportionate share of top talent. What made you realize there was a phenomenon here that nobody else had studied yet? You know, uh, I, I, I got into this idea uh, by way of, uh, of uh, other work I had done about failure. I wrote a book called Why Smart Executives Fail about 10 years ago and uh, uh, had lots of reasons and explanations about what goes wrong, but especially what you can do to avoid those problems. But I was never really satisfied with all of my suggestions. Um, and, uh, and so over time, I came to the realization that there was something else, something more. And, and that was that to, to, that to survive, to be successful as an organization for any length of time, you need to be able to generate and regenerate talent on a continuous basis. And that was really the, the trigger. And once I realized that, I started looking around and saying, well, who's good at it? Um, who's, uh, who's got that track record? And, uh, and that got me into the restaurant business. I'm, I'm a foodie, so I started looking in you know, high-end restaurant businesses, business, and that was Alice Waters at Chef Panisse. And then I started to look at the, you know, the NFL because I'm into food and Bill Walsh. And then went on and on. To, I started to do it much more systematically uh, to uh, look at different industries to see, is there someone who has nurtured a disproportionate share of the talent in that industry? person I call a super boss. And if so, what's going on with them? And that's, that's what happened. It's interesting that in any given industry, the leader that you picked out as being a super boss, identifying that person is no surprise to people in that industry, is it? It's, a, it's a, an absolute uh, given. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really remarkable how this had uh, such 
clear, clear uh, uh, consensus. Uh, and, and, you know, how did I figure it out? I talked to, I interviewed hundreds of people in this research, and uh, I'd ask them about themselves and their careers and who was influential and who were the key players. And uh, it doesn't take long to get some of the same names coming up, and then you dig a little further, and then you say, okay, it's Ralph Lauren in, in American fashion. And then in my subsequent interviews, I'd say, well, I'm thinking Ralph Lauren is, uh, is the super boss. What do you think? And they say, well, of course, there is nobody else. That's kind of what happened. So as you identified them, you discovered that, uh, I guess at first face, first of all, when, when you rattle off who all these super bosses are, you think, man, there is nothing in common. What, what does Larry Ellison have to do with George Lucas? I mean, the, the, the two guys couldn't be more different. Um, but what did you what did you discover that uh, some of the characteristics that they all seem to have in common? Well, there there are certainly differences in motivation and personality. That is uh, that is for sure. But uh, despite what that uh, what those differences might might be, personality differences might be. Um, they uh, they do a bunch of things that are that, that are very very similar. And uh, it's what I ended up calling the Super Boss Playbook. It has to do with how they identify talent, um, how they motivate and inspire people, um, how they think about and unleash innovation um, and creativity in their organizations. Um, there's a big part about teaching and coaching and delegation and, uh, and even teams. And in each of these, uh, each of these areas, they, uh, they do a bunch of things that uh, I think are, are, are counterintuitive to what most people or most companies, uh, most leaders actually do. I mean, I'll give you an example when it comes to identifying talent. You know, most, uh, in, in most situations, you, uh, you work by the job description. You figure out who you need or what you need. You come out with your list of five, you know, criteria of what you're looking for. You scan your resumes. You, uh, you interview the finalists and you hire the person that you think has, uh, has, the, has more of the criteria that you're interested in than anyone else. And that's not an unusual thing and, and, and that's fine. But super bosses, they might do that some of the time, but they also do something different, which is they will, uh, uh, always be, they are always on the lookout for talent. They're talent spotters. And when they find somebody that they, that they think is really special, really capable, they will go and create a job for that person. And that's kind of the, the opposite to the, the job description approach. It is, it is counterintuitive, and a lot of the HR folks get a little nervous listening to that. But uh, the truth is that uh, it's one of the ways that uh, super bosses stand out. They're always on the lookout for great talent. Intu counterintuitive is the exact word that I thought as I was reading the book. Time after time, the, uh, any given chapter, I thought, man, this is not what I would have expected. What's the biggest surprise that you had in, in finding out what super bosses do? Biggest surprise? Boy, that was, you know, it's pr it probably has to do with, uh, uh, with how they think about uh, talent or people in their, in their organizations over time. You know, the subtitle of the book is, is about mastering the flow of talent. And that means not just people coming into the organization and not just how you develop or, or, or support them as they're in, as they're working for you, but what you do to help them move out of the organization. And that's something I would never have expected. In fact, uh, almost every large company, I'm going to say, focuses on, really optimizes on talent retention. That's yeah. what it's all about. People can get rewarded for that. And I think, Based on what I learned from the super bosses, I, I think that's a mistake. I think optimizing on talent retention is 
has the potential to hurt you more than it helps you. And that's as counterintuitive as, as it gets. And, and the reason is that, as we've seen with the super bosses, they, uh, they want to attract great talent. But you, you know what happens with great talent. They're not going to stay forever. Nobody's starting a job today uh, planning to get that, you know, that gold watch after 25 years. If you get two years out of someone, you're saying not bad, five years, 10 years. And so if you're living in a world where you're trying to attract great people, you have this whole millennial change that's going on that brings in people that have a different mindset than, than, than has historically been the case. Why would you want to focus on and optimize on talent retention? It's like you're, you're going up against a generational change. That is not, you're not going to win against a generational change. Why not try to be strategic about it? Take advantage of it. And that's what super bosses will, will do. They will look for opportunities for some of their people that are ready to move on to get a new job, even, even elsewhere, sometimes within the same company in another position, but often elsewhere. And I'll give you an example. Um, Tommy Frist, who was the longtime CEO of Hospital Corporation of America, HCA. He, he, he really created a talent machine. He was really a tremendous super boss. And uh, he knew that, uh, that some of the best talent, they wanted to become CEO somewhere else. He understood that. In fact, that's what he wanted. He was training them to be able to do that. And so what he ended up doing is he created spinoff opportunities, spinoff companies. And those spinoff companies... Uh, uh, whether it's you know, a new surgical center or mental health clinic or what have you, he would create that opportunity for one of the people on his team to become CEO in that organization. And Tommy Frist and HCA would take some equity in that business. And so they would get some of the upside uh, of the success, of the subsequent success of that, of that project. I mean, look at Lauren Michaels. You know, who's, uh, who are the, what are the late night shows that are on, on NBC now? You have Seth Meyers, you got Jimmy Fallon. They both were at SNL. And who's the executive producer of both of those shows? Turns out that is Lauren Michaels. <laughs> so, amazing talent. They're going to move on. He helps them get those jobs and he's the executive producer. So he's actually cashing in on it at the same time. That's the mindset that super bosses have adopted. It, it kind of cha it, it changes how people think about their, the world, but I, I, I can't see how we're going to go back to the old world. Uh, and too many companies are sticking to a model that's now decades old. Yeah, that is totally unexpected. Even the, the, those two examples that you told, the, the boss, the super boss has sort of a, an ongoing direct financial uh, connection with the employees that leave. But um, it, it's, you've just said it, it actually works in the super boss's advantage to encourage star talent to leave, even if they're truly cutting the ties and going elsewhere in the industry. Why, why is that? Why is it, of course, we already talked about why it benefits you, but it also creates this kind of talent magnet thing. You know, you become known within the industry, this reputation of being the place you want to go. You want, you want to work for Jesse if you want to make it in this business. That's the place to go. And by the way, we're talking CEOs, you know, big companies. Uh, it's not only there. Anyone who work, is working in a bigger company and kind of in, right, smack in the middle of that company, you have, you know, you have your online job, uh, job boards. And you, if you pay attention to that, you can start to see who your super boss is. You know what I mean? You could look at one team or one office where there's, there's, whenever there's a job opening, it's getting filled right away. And you can look at another office and there always seems to be an opening that can't find anybody. Well, why is that going on? Uh, and I would suggest it's the team, uh, it's, that, it's that office where it's really hard to get that job. As soon as something opens, people are jumping into it. That person's become a talent magnet. They are attracting tremendous talent. And 
you know, that, that is really what it's all about. If you can get the world's best talent, you're going to win much more often than you're going to lose. And I'd much rather have the best talent for five years or 10 years or what have you than having the second best talent or the average talent for 25 years. Yeah. So creating this network of, uh, let's call them alumni, your alumni that scatter throughout the country or throughout the world that basically um, encourage other people to come work with you and send other good benefits of, of uh, networking your way as well. Yeah, there are, there are plenty of benefits that come, that come back to you because, you know, these are people, former um, you know, team members that have big jobs now. These are people that are going to remember who, uh, who they work for. I mean, anyone listening now can think about a, a boss or bosses they've had both that were fantastic, hopefully, and disastrous, hopefully not, but probably there'll be plenty. And you never forget, I mean, you never forget a super boss, that's for sure. And so when, when you go and call up one of those former employees um, and ask them for some advice, some ideas, some connection, they can't wait to, to, to return the favor again and again. And so it creates tremendous opportunity. You might even want to hire them back. You might want to bring them back on a short-term basis. I saw all of those things happening among super bosses. And, you know, the idea that a network is important is not a new idea, but super bosses have, have, have created networks that are really on steroids that just create so many benefits. And I think that's the key thing that you want to, you want to be able to do. What are some things that uh, uh, someone who might not realize that they, they are a super boss, but you're an everyday leader. Uh, what could they do to do a better job of helping their star talent find their plate, their next place in the world? Yeah. Well, uh, I think step, step one is doing everything you can to, uh, help the, that great talent get even, get even better. And that's the kind of the day to day, uh, work that you're, that you're going to be doing. That's, and that includes, you know, customizing how you interact with each person on your team. It's not a one size fit, fits all. This is, by the way, another counterintuitive idea. So many people talk about leadership style or management style. And you know what? I can't stand that stuff. I think that's a mistake. Uh, of course, we have our style. But why should we impose our style on the people that work for us if we want to help them get better? Why can't we customize what it is we're doing uh, uh, to help to, to adjust and to help them? You know, anyone who's got, you know, kids more than one uh you can't do exactly the same thing with each kid you have to be you have to be you know adaptable and customizable so you can you can do that and you want to inspire people and all those things help people get better and then you know the opportunities are going to come to to people on your team the question then is it's not that you have to necessarily go find them that job it happens you know bill walsh former head coach of the san francisco 49ers would actually pick up the phone and call an owner of another team when they had an opening for a head coach and say, you know, my assistant coach is ready. He's, he's fantastic and you really want to consider them. That's pretty extreme because you're going to a direct competitor in that, in that case. So you don't even have to go that, that far. But the fact that you help them, got, you help them get better uh, and then the recognition that they're going to move on and they're going to want those opportunities, well, then it's really, just a, it's really just a question of making sure that you manage that network really, really effectively. And, uh, and it takes some time. It takes some effort. But in fact, it, it, it has, uh, has a lot of different ways that it'll pay off. One of my favorite chapters in the book is chapter four about uh, being uncompromisingly open. And I guess this was the one that really uh, 
hit on the topic of innovation, although innovation comes up over and over again in the book. But can you um, help us break down that idea of this, why super bosses are different in, in their openness? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite an accurate uh, title for that chapter because they're uncompromising, yet they're open. Yet again, this counterintuitive idea. And by uncompromising, I mean that they have a powerful vision for what they believe in. And they're not going to change that vision. So Alice Waters, the, the restaurateur from Japanese uh, in Berkeley, California, she is the one, and that restaurant is the one that's really resurrected the farm-to-table organic food, local sourcing of high-quality ingredients. That's a formula, by the way, that you see in, in the vast majority of high-end restaurants today around the country and really around the world. But when she started that restaurant in the early 1970s, that's not the way the world was working. So she was really the innovator there. That was her vision. She wasn't going to change that vision. She wasn't going to compromise on that. But given that that's what she's trying to accomplish, then the question is, how can we get there? And, and then she would say, and she did say, I want the best ideas from everyone. I want, I, I want to hear, I want to learn if there's a better way to get at a, a different ingredient, if there's a better way to, to improve how we operate as, a, as a, in this case, a restaurant or a, or a business, whatever it happens to be. They want, they want people, they really unleash the creativity of the people that work for them. And, and that's, again, this, this, this combination of a powerful vision that's not going to change, but anything goes after that. And uh, there, the benefit is pretty, pretty powerful because it's the vision itself that attracts a lot of people. And then the fact that you can be part of that and your ideas count, in fact, not just count, they're expected. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it, again, it's a, good, it's a good combination. And I think it helps attract talent and it helps accomplish what needs to get accomplished in those organizations. Yeah, you said you're, comment there that it's expected is pretty key because it's not just that uh, the super bosses are open to ideas that people have, but that they actually expect that you need to constantly be rethinking everything about the job and uh, thinking about new ways to get to do things better or better ways to meet the vision. And uh, so it's a, it's a paradox, as you pointed out, between um, having this vision, but then having this uh, this mindset of openness, and both are expectations. It's uh, it it's a it's on the one hand it's being bossy, on the other hand it's being open. It's hard to grasp that. I don't think most managers do that. Yeah, well, it's uh, I think I think there's a lot to to learn from uh, from this approach, and what it does is it really opens the door for. Uh, every single person on your team and your organization to be to be contributed to be contributing to uh, to to be engaged really when you get right down to it. And if you're coming into a company, you know Alice Waters or whatever it happens to be, and you have a very different vision for what that company is, the the truth of the matter is not going to work out for you. But if you can buy into that vision, which is a very high level kind of broad vision, but if you can buy into it. The, the opportunity is, is gigantic. You know, it gets to, I use the word engagement, and it's an important one because, you know, uh, the employee engagement scores these, these days are disastrous. Maybe it's, you know, a quarter of people in these surveys will say they're highly engaged at work. And, and, uh, and you know, what are we going to do to fix that? I actually think that super bosses uh, have come up with a way to greatly enhance engagement on the job. And, and that's because they, uh, 
as soon as you work there, you're, you're important. You count. You have the potential to have an impact. Um, your boss wants to know what it is you have to say. In fact, as we said, they, he or she expects you to come up with some new ideas. So it's not just filling in forms, not just putting in your 40 hours or what have you. It's actually being a, a partner in the creation of whatever that business is creating. And that's a formula we've heard a lot of millennials like, but it's a formula that I think a lot of other people like as well and, and, and speaks to this engagement challenge that we've got. So we've been talking about how super bosses, they, they begin by hiring unusual talent they uh, unleash the talent by inspiring them with a vision, and then they expect they foster creativity by asking people to rethink everything and being very open to the ideas that that come up. So this uh, this idea of innovation, I guess we can understand how a CEO would be responsible for that. But let's say I'm in HR or I'm in talent management. What ways that could, could I, as a leader in that area, um, foster innovation throughout the organization. The, the, the thing about innovation that I, I think is is uh, really front and center, and that I've seen now after uh, spending you know some ten years thinking and working on on this project. Um, think about innovation in an organization and how far we've come in so many areas. I mean, supply chain management, uh, marketing and sales, uh, manufacturing, uh, uh, all kinds of digital technologies. Innovation is 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 you know revolutionized uh, organizational life and business, but there's one part that hasn't actually changed nearly as much, and that happens to be talent. And the reason I say that is, you go back 20 years ago or 10 years ago, and you you talk to CEOs or senior executives, and you ask them, you know, what are your pain points? What's keeping you up at night? What are you worried about? You would hear. That you would hear time and time again, people saying it's about it's about people. We need to make sure we're getting the best people. We need to make sure that these people are producing at the highest level. We need to make sure that we're that we're creating an innovative, adaptable organization. Ask people today. Ask senior executives today. What are your pain (laughs) points? What do you think you're going to hear? Exactly the same thing. Absolutely. And you know how could that be that the single most important part of any organization, which is talent, which is people, which is the creation of knowledge. Um, and the leveraging of that knowledge. How could it be that all of that, that central component, is the part that's changed the least, that's, that's had the least innovation? Now, I know over the last couple of years, there have been a variety of apps and software created, you know, provide feedback more quickly uh, or, or through electronic means um, and managing meetings and becoming a bit more productive or efficient. And I'm not against any of those ideas, but fundamentally, where is the innovation when it comes to the things that super bosses have done and, and are doing today in many, in many places? Uh, I don't think we've, we've, we've hit that. I don't think we've gotten that. And that's why uh, the super boss playbook, these ideas, the counterintuitive nature that we've been talking about, the innovative nature of it, uh, I think it's about time that uh, uh, people in HR and talent and senior executives as well, or maybe predominantly, uh, start to think about the, the the way in which they identify and develop and nurture and support talent. They need to think about it differently because the old models have uh, are, are just not working well enough. And here are uh, these super bosses. I say that you know they're hiding in plain sight. These are famous people that we've seen. We just never studied them or thought about them until now in this way. They've got a way of doing this that I think is 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 a game changer, and that's uh, and that's what I, that's how I think about this, you know, in terms of innovation. Yeah. So you you raise a really good point there about the need for in, increased innovation in HR and talent. 
What would be an example, or maybe you've seen an example at some organization where HR was really driving uh, one of these super boss playbook concepts? Yeah, it's a, it, it, so it's a, really, uh, it's a really good question because uh, I think we're in the early days of seeing these types of changes. The places where I've seen them the most would be in Silicon Valley. And, and, you know, the idea of having somebody work for you for, for a short period of time is not nearly as, uh, as, uh, as shocking of an idea there. And, uh, and so they're building out um, systems and processes to help attract great talent, but recognizing that, you know, it's not only about talent retention. But the truth is, you know, Jesse, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of it. And, um, you know, I'm going around with a lot of companies and I'm working with different companies and actually developing a bunch of tools, assessment tools, and then tools to help organizations get closer to this super boss, uh, this, this world of super bosses. Because I think a lot of organizations have not uh, really made those, uh, made those shifts. Uh, and, you know, like, like this is always the case when, when you're talking about a, a big change. Um, you have to be willing to try. You have to be willing to do it. Number one. Number two, because there's risk associated with any change in people's minds, you got to experiment and find a place, whether it's an office, um, a region, um, a function, where where you where you want to uh, build in some of the super boss practices and learn from that and adjust it and adapt it so that it'll fit throughout the whole organization. Uh, bottom line is, I, I I don't think there are a lot of companies that are there. Right now, I know a bunch of companies that are thinking about it from some of my my own conversations, and and uh, because they recognize that it's this this flow of talent uh, that they've somehow forgotten about or not worried about. Uh, the, it's not just about inflow and development; it's it's about outflow as well. And what does that mean? And how do you manage that? And how do you leverage and take advantage of that? And I think there's, um, you know, it, it's almost like those companies that figure this out faster are going to have a competitive advantage because they're going to be better at the single most important thing an organization cares about, which is people. Absolutely. Now, I think one of the questions that anybody's going to think of when they pick up the book and read the cover and hear that you're, you're going to be telling the stories in the, in the book about legends and geniuses like uh, Lauren Michaels, who created Saturday Night Live and Ralph Lauren and, uh, others like that. Um, George Lucas, uh, for example, huge creative geniuses. The obvious question, I guess, is what about normal people? Can anybody become a super boss or do you have to be a genius to begin with? So what about normal people? I love that question. <laughs> You're right. Uh, and here's the conclusion I, I came to after, after these years of work and talking to so many people about this. Um, I believe that anyone Anyone could become a super boss or certainly more super boss like whether you're a supervisor, a lower level, you know, manager in a hierarchy, mid manager, you know, whether you're in sales, whether you're in, in finance, whether you're in supply chain, um, because none of this is truly rocket science. Uh, it's not common sense because as we talked about, there's a lot of counterintuitive ideas, uh, but it's not like it's impossible to do. The biggest thing is you got to want to do it. You have to really be motivated to do it. You don't become Ralph Lauren by just kind of snapping your fingers and you're Ralph Lauren. You work at it a little bit, uh, or rather a lot. Uh, so uh, so I, think, I think anyone can. And, and the second thing I'm going to say is I already know that there are many super bosses in organizations today. 
And they're not people I necessarily studied in, in the actual book because I was looking at these kind of major players to try to understand how industries change and adapt over, over time and, the, and key mechanisms behind it. How does this happen that you could develop this great talent? But I know from my conversations with people, people have read the book and have written to me already, uh, people tweeting out there, people are thinking about their own super boss or super bosses that they've had. Um, there are super bosses up and down every organization. And I think what you, what we, we want to do, uh, is, uh, first of all, figure out who they are. And that's why the, some of these assessment tools are quite valuable and, you know, figure out who they are and then learn from them, celebrate them and learn from them. They're doing something special that actually pays off, that helps them get better. It helps the people that work for them get better. Why would we not want to kind of recognize, in a way, it's like looking for the diamonds in the rough in her own organization, except I suspect there are going to be quite a, quite a few of them. Um, it's going to vary across, across companies, but uh, I'm willing to bet that in any large company, there are going to be uh, many, and even in smaller companies, there will be some. Well, the book again is Super Boss, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent. We've been talking to Professor Sidney Finkelstein. Sidney, where can people get their hands on this book? And uh, if they want to learn more about you and, and uh, be part of your audience, how can they connect with you? Well, you know, of course, the book is available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> say any, any bookstore, but Amazon and Barnes & Noble online, uh, to be sure. People can look at my website, which is www.superbosses.com for more information. I've got uh, some free downloads on, in, in there. And I also have a, a kind of a mini version of, a, of, of this assessment. Uh, I created a, 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 a larger assessment that we're now, uh, that we've validated and we're using in, uh, in our consulting work and application work. But there's a short version that's right there and it's free. You can just do it. And it'll give you it'll give you a score, and it'll give you some hints or pointers on what you can be better at and what you're really good at already uh, uh, as a as a super boss. So it's it's a it's a good quick thing to uh, to do. People can contact me on um, on Twitter. My Twitter feed is at Sid Finkelstein, and uh, I'd be delighted to hear from people that uh, are uh, reading the book, listening to uh, listening to this. And thinking about you know their own super boss, I'd love to hear about more more of those super bosses that are in the middle of organizations because I think we want to celebrate those people and uh, um, and and know about those people. So on your website, folks can get that assessment tool with twelve questions they can ask themselves to get a sense for where are they on the super boss spectrum and what can they do to to get better. You mentioned con- consulting. Um, tell us a little bit more about your consulting practice. So uh, I. I've gotten quite a bit of demand in the early going already, not surprising given how important this is to organizations to try to figure out and help them apply the ideas uh, in super bosses. Now, the book itself, I think, has literally dozens of ideas on on what any manager could do today to become more super boss-like. And it also has ideas for people who want to work for a super boss and how to find them. Uh, so there's a, I mean, there's a lot of practical stuff there, but the consulting side is, well, how do you create an entire organization and how do you kind of scale this up in an organization? And, uh, um, and I think that's a place where some diagnostic work is going to be, is going to be useful. I think that's a place where there's a bunch of tools and ideas on how to make that happen could be, could be useful. And that's what, uh, that's what we're rolling out now with some of, uh, some of the consulting we're doing. Yeah, very cool. Professor Sidney Finkelstein, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thank you, Jesse. A lot of fun. 
All right, Engagers, get your hands on the book, Super Bosses, and we'll provide the information and links that Sydney mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 